beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. We uh, started football season and it ended, too, so that's great. I'm sorry. So now we can focus on making beer. <laughs> you'll need more time beer. time until next September. Yeah, you'll need more beer now that uh, football season's not over. I- I'm kidding, of course. But fall is upon us. So, uh, by the way, Jeremy White, Bert Deister here, as we are every Saturday on ESPN 1520 with Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. So welcome to fall. What does fall mean to you for, for the home brewer? Uh, really, for me, it's kind of the start of a beer-making season. And not to say that brewers haven't been making beer all summer, but I think a lot of brewers are kind of limited to what they can brew based on, you know, time constraints, temperature, mm-hmm. uh, and fermentation is just easier as you get into the fall. Temperatures start to stabilize not only in your basement, but the tap water starts dropping. That's probably what I appreciate the most is once you know your tap water starts to hit below 50 degrees, all of a sudden you can chill beers down to 55, 60 degrees, which you couldn't do with your tap water. You know, yeah, I, I've never thought of that. How, how much does tap water temperature fluctuate from season to season? Big. Big. I mean, we're talking like right around 40 degrees for most people in the winter. Um, this summer, I was trying to make the fest beer. I'm trying to chill down to 60 degrees. I hit a wall. All of a sudden, I measure my tap water. My tap water's at about 75 degrees, wow. 70 degrees. And so that's why I'm hitting a wall at 80. Makes sense. So it, it's big. And, and kind of like we talked about in the spring on Earth Day, you know, anything you can do to chill down that water in the summer is really going to not only save you time, it's going to save you money because you're going to use a lot less water. And um, it's going to be a little green as well. It's going to be a lot hmm. more efficient. All right. Well, we've got lots of stuff to get to. Again, uh, temperature stabilizing, not just in tap water, but also in the air. Um, mm-hmm. You, but, I get, but we do get more fluctuation from day to night. Like summer, it's hot at night. It's hot during the day. Right around now, well, the summer it was. Well, that's right. Right around now, I get up and it's fifty-two, and then it's been like eighty-one at four in the afternoon. So we're getting big ranges of temperature uh, from like sundown to sun up, I yeah. guess. And this is why we always encourage people to do five gallons or more. You know what I mean? A, a larger fermenter is going to have a larger thermal capacity, and it's not going to see as big fluctuations from day to night is going to kind of stay somewhere in a, you know, like a, a median in between your highs and lows. And it's another reason to insulate your fermenters. And we, we tell people this all the time. If you're getting rid of a fridge, even if it's broken, save the fridge to put your fermenters in. Because having them just in an insulated space is going to, again, it's going to kind of bring in those highs and lows that the fermenter sees and therefore change the highs and lows that the uh, fermenter sees to even narrow that. So... Yeah, get it insulated, whether it's, you know, wrapping it in an old, uh, you know, blanket or a refrigerator, just putting it back into the, the box that your startup kit came in. Do it, and it's going to make your beers a lot better. Last week we talked about making cider. Um, Which we had a lot of people are starting now. Yeah. And it's going to go all the way through to, like, late November and even into December you'll be able to get fresh press cider, as well as a lot of people are coming in because – uh, a lot of experienced people know the best juice comes right at the end of the season. Uh, so they're coming in to grab some of our uh, English and West Coast concentrates so that they can start a batch now. And we talked about whether or not you should kind of try to crush your own and do all the work or if you should just buy the actual, you know, the cider stuff that you need itself. You yeah. guys sell all that. Um, I, you want, I know you, you guys mentioned new presses and crushers for winemaking needs. Let me just kind of, if I could, 
take over veer off topic here. Yeah. Um, my fiance brought home grapes from uh, we have a CSA that we we contribute to. These are the best grapes I've ever tasted in my life. Yeah. So when it comes to making wine, is it even more work than cider would be trying to make the, the stuff yourself? Wine, I, I was going to say, just because the grapes are softer, they're a little easier to crush, I would say. If you're thinking about making, um, you know, if you're saying, okay, I got apples, I got, you know, grapes, which is going to be easier for me to get the juice out of, definitely grapes. Um, they just, while apples, once you crush them, they tend to drop most of their water. It's really hard to get them finely crushed. And you don't want to be taking decoring apples and putting them two or three at a time at a blender. That's going to get old fast. Whereas grapes, uh, just a simple potato masher uh, in a stainless steel pot, and you can quickly pulverize, you know, 20 pounds of grapes. Right. And so they're easy. However, the best Eating grapes are not the best always wine the best fermentation grapes. This, these grapes tasted like straight out grape juice. I mean, yeah. it, it was just. I was going to say the one thing you can do is if you've stabilized another wine, cider, beer, or something like that, and I've done this with IPA and I've done this with mead with great success. Uh, I've added in grape juice into the secondary or late into the fermentation, sometimes right before kegging or bottling, um, and you get all these wonderful kind of fruit flavors, and that's a nice thing to do. You're saying you've done that grade. with yeah. an IPA? I've done that with an IPA, um, and I've done that with uh, mead, both times using local Concord. Hmm. It worked out really well. Concord, not the greatest of fermenting. It you know, kind of comes out a little bit sharp in the long run and low alcohol and, and doesn't have a lot of body. So a lot of bitter agents, kind of thin, no body, doesn't work out too well. However, if you don't ferment it, if you're really just putting in latent fermentation as more of a flavoring agent, you know, that's great. Yeah. That's going to work. So new pressers and crushers for anyone that wants to do this kind of stuff, you guys have those in. Oh, yeah. And we got a lot. I mean, we should, you know, kind of go to a little bit of advertisement here. But we also have liquid wine yeast. We have every additive you may need, as well as malactic and other bacteria culture. We have oak in the form of chips, cubes, spirals, and staves. Uh, we have fermenters from one gallon up to 20. And actually, if you're looking at conicals and stainless steel or variable tanks, we actually have uh, some up higher, up until 42 gallons plus. But we're just kind of looking at the home stuff here. We have a wide selection of bottles, the dressing for them, and a wide selection of corks. Uh, we have tons of different wine-making gadgets, as well as a lot of the beer-making gadgets work for wine as well. We have three different automated bottle fillers. We have drill-powered bottle and car buoy washers. We have all sorts of bricks hydrometers, uh, stir plates, and stuff that can be used for winemaking, uh, as well as beer making. And if you're a beer maker uh, and you haven't brewed since last winter, we have new gadgets for you, too. So come on in. We'll have stuff you can check out. What kind of gadgets for that guy? Because that's actually kind of me. I moved twice in this amount of time, so my brewing has been kind of put on hold, and now I'm waiting to... Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this before. I've got the the kegerator that the room is almost ready for it, and like once that's in, then I've got like the crib for the baby, and I'll be ready yeah. to brew something. So gadgets that have that have showed up since last year for the brewer that might want to jump back in and uh, ease their convenience. Yeah, well, we've got a couple from Vintney Shop. One, the Fermonster, which both uh, me and you I have that. are now uh, brewing with. I got my first batch finally through it um, recently, and I loved it. Uh, a lot easier to move, easy to get in and out of my keyser. Um, and, again, the big, wide top uh, was great. I was able to take out just the cork, rack it, 
go in with uh, taking off the top, get in there with my hand in a washcloth yep. and wash out the entire inside of the car buoy. That it, was, it's funny. That it, actually, was nice. it points out how easy cleaning is. It just takes your hand in a washcloth, whereas if you have the normal glass car buoy, like you're in there with a hose like blasting it thinking, why won't this stuff come off? All yeah. it really needs is your hand on it, and you it comes it. right off. You end up buying that drill-powered car buoy washer that we just talked about, and yeah. jet washers to try to get inside there. But, yeah, a lot easier. The other one that – uh, has been popular and I think is going to be a big seller this fall is the Vintney Shop uh, Double Roller Grain Mill. Um, now, this grain mill is small and it's kind of a mimic, we'll say, of a couple of the uh, ones already out on the market. Kind of really uh, resembles an all stainless version of the Smidling Mill or something like that. Um, but it's nice. It has a really big hopper, kind of small mill plate, but it's got adjustable. Uh, gaps on either side of the rollers to and they're marked which a lot of more expensive rollers don't have so you can go back and get that same crush without trying to measure again you can just set it and forget it um, but it's a lot cheaper uh, than a lot of the traditional roller mills out there and at the price point around a hundred dollars it's uh, an easy point I think for a lot of all-grain brewers who are looking to start buying full sacks. So now this is replacing the part where I buy grains from you and ask you to go ahead and do this. I just do this at home. You got it. And now if you end up, say, getting your own mill here and you start buying 50-pound sacks, there's a substantial savings to be had. Um, When you go extract, you're probably your fermentables per batch are going to cost, oh, about 22 to 25 bucks. You go to all grain and you're looking, okay, maybe about $16 for your fermentables for a batch. You go all grain and you start buying your own sack. Now you're looking at like $8, $9 for that same batch of beer. Now you still have to put yeast, hops, specialty malts in it. Those costs are going to stay the same. But the actual price for your starting gravity goes way down and can be a big savings for a lot of people. Um, and so if this is a hobby you know you're going to continue, you know you enjoy. I would definitely suggest picking up your own grain mill. Um, it also helps if you're going to brew with some, you know, grains you find elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know, anything that you might want to, you know, pulverize into your mash. Leafs, uh, leaf hops packaged as yes, well? Yes, this, this, this is going to make a lot of brewers really, really happy. Um, so we announced on the show, as well as a lot of, you know, newsletters went out from wholesalers, from retailers to uh, their customers, that YCH and other hop companies were not going to be packaging one pound and one ounce leaf hops out of the 2016 crop. They didn't do much out of the 2015 either. So with the 2015, they just did the common varieties. Uh, Just about everything besides Cascade was running out at the end of the season. And then they announced, oh, next year we're not doing this, you know. the leaf hops don't keep as long. They're harder to package. They're not as big as a market, and we're going to discontinue them. Well, customers complain to homebrew shops. We cl- complain to our distributors, and they complain to YCH, and they caved. And so in the 2016, they're not going to be doing their full line of leaf hops, but they are going to do the ones that re- people really want for dry hopping, for putting into Randall's, 
for um, you know post post wart hopping as well. And so what's going to be available as of right now, or what we've been told, is Amarillo, Cascade, Centennial, Citra, Chexaz, Simcoe, and Will Amet. So they're trying to cover their bases from you know a lot of U.S. hops to some Western European and some Eastern European. Um, and those are going to be available starting soon. So that much demand, huh? Yeah. No, there, there was a lot of people. And I, I really feel for people, I have a Randall, and I'm kind of looking at it like, oh, what am I going to do with this thing now? It's not going to look as good when you you know put all your hops in socks and then you put them into this clear Randall, which I'm used to displaying on top of the keg, and it just looks like a filter full of socks. You know, nobody's going to mm-hmm. really want their beer filtered through socks. Um and if you had a hop rocket or if you had set up maybe a large like brewing system around IPAs and using, you know, eight ounces, ten ounces of hops per batch, and you had screens in there, the pellets tend to really screw them up. So this is big for a lot of brewers who kind of built their systems around leaf hops. And, and they're not going to be able to get every variety in leaf hops. But, again, you're going to have some American sea hops to put into your randals, put into your hop rockets, um, using your spiders and hopefully more soon. Very good. All right, we're pretty much up against our, our break here. So, um, But I want to promo coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got some big plans going on. We're going to have some uh, judges. We're going to have judges. So we, we've got all the beers for the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition. Today is actually going to be two weeks from the entry deadline. So we're going to start moving them in the next day or two here. Well, actually today from the... Uh, about 65 degrees, uh, 60 degrees into, you know, 38 to 40 degree refrigerator and kind of start chilling them down all together. Um, and we'll begin the preliminary judging one night at the shop here this week. Um, and then we will start the best of show judging on air starting hopefully next week. Great. And I'm going to get to taste some of these. We'll get huh? to taste them. Well, that's, I mean, this is great news. All right. Uh, all right. So that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. But uh, when we get back, you mentioned, you know, aging the bottles in the, in the competition for two weeks. That was part of what was going on. We're going to talk about aging your beer after it's been bottled now that, um, well, it's it's fall. And, you know, whether or not you've got a perfect basement or a hostile environment, uh, the keys to aging those bottled beers, that's up next as we continue here on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Okay, so aging your bottle of beer, your bottles, aging whatever you might have. I saw a tweet to... uh, the Niagara, Niagara Tradition Twitter account, Bert, that was, you know, what if you don't have a basement? What if I have a hostile environment? So yeah. uh, let's go through everything there is to know about uh, aging your beer. Yeah, this is a very common problem. I think one that we're both familiar with from our past couple of years of brewing, whereas if you live in an apartment, um, you had usually don't have a basement. 
or you have and a shared basement don't have or much space yeah, yeah. And, and and so storing your beer post fermentation even if you do a really good job in fermentation of controlling the temperature keeping it out of sunlight a lot of times then we're left with okay now what do i do with these two and a half cases of bottles they take up a little bit more room than the fermenter did and you're trying to find a safe place for them and we can kind of let's talk about the rules first for kind of uh, aging bottles. And, and if you have like a, you know, like a three bay beer fridge, this topic of conversation might not be for you. But if you're living in an apartment, if you don't have a lot of cool space, there's a couple of things you got to worry about. And the first kind of basic rule we all know is keep the bottles out of direct sunlight. And a lot of people think, oh, I've bottled an amber glass. It ends there. No, not quite. The amber glass will slow down reactions, but it's not going to stop reactions. And it's really the UV light. So not your household lights that we're worried about, but direct sunlight here that's going to change the chemical composition of the uh, essential oils left over from the hops. And, of course, it's going to begin to skunk the beer. It's also going to assist in the oxidation of the beer as well. So you're going to pick up some cardboard-like flavors as well as you're going to pick up some skunky flavors as well if you let the light hit it. So what you want to try to do is put them into some type of box, um, you know, cardboard box, preferably the case they originally came in, and hide them out of the light somewhere. The other thing you want to keep track of. And the one that we often think about the most is temperature. Um, and the reason you want to keep them in a cool place is changes in temperature, especially higher, can cause the yeast to start re-ferment. But when they start this re-fermentation, one, you already have the carbonation level at the level you want it. So the beer is going to inevitably begin to overcarbonate. Um, whether that creates just gussers or bottle bombs, it's not going to be pleasant. Um, as they re-ferment in this low nutrient environment in a temperature range that they're really not comfortable with, they're also probably going to produce some kind of funky phenols. You know, this can be everything from um, in a uh, Belgian saison that I took and I put a couple bottles purposely on top of a refrigerator to kind of accelerate the carbonation. Mm -hmm. Those ones that were probably sitting at 85, 90 degrees, they are wonderful um, kind of bubblegum bombs. You know, the yeast at that temperature and that style of yeast tends to produce this wonderful, um, like I hate to say it, pink bubblegum-like flavor, which was wonderful in the Saison. I ended up moving more bottles to the top of the fridge to kind of create that flavor. Not all yeasts are going to produce wonderful flavors, and they can produce flavors uh, that lean more towards uh, plastic or electrical fire or smoke or something like that that you really don't want in your beer. So you don't want to let them get warm. You don't want to cause yeast to begin re-fermenting. Um, there's a few things you can do to kind of help yourself out here. And the first is, again, keep it in a case and then cover that case with a blanket or anything to insulate it. Just like the fermenter, if we can insulate it, we're going to change the highs and lows that it sees in the air inside that insulation, and we can kind of narrow the range of highs and lows that the bottles see, and that's really going to make it a lot better. And the blanket's not going to make it too warm because what a blanket does is it keeps the heat that's already there. Yes, I mean, like, and like, you have when, to remember the beer isn't producing Right, like when a person heat. puts a blanket on it, it keeps yeah, your own body heat. Yeah, we're 99 degrees, and yeah. so... Slowly, that air underneath that blanket starts building up to 99 degrees. However, with the beer, there is capacity. However, there is no production of heat 
uh, you know, enzo or exothermic reaction. So it's neutral. It's just a mass. And if you put some insulation around it, that heat, that draw of heat that's coming from the external is going to slow down. So as the hours go by in the middle of the day and your house is creeping up to 78 degrees, that air inside that blanket is always going to be well behind it. Um, and as it cools down, again, you're going to see that same reaction. Okay. So you want to try to keep them covered, keep them insulated the best you can. Um, and then the real hard part, especially depending on where your apartment is, is trying to keep them away from outer walls. Outer walls are really the kind of killer because they'll get really hot with the day sunlight and then really cold at night. They're going to see the most violent temperature change out of anywhere you know, in the house. And so if you can, try to keep them on an interior wall. If you have an interior closet somewhere um, and you can put them in there, put a blanket over top of them, that's the best place to keep your beer. Well, the best place to keep your beer is in that, like, you know, three-bay designated beer fridge that we were talking about right. that we would all love to have. Um, but most of us don't. And so you're kind of left with, you know, uh, you know, what's my my best option? Not what's the best thing for the beer, but what what's the best I can kind of provide for it. And I, I know that's been a struggle for me for years um, is I love to brew. I probably brew a lot more than I drink. I think that's fairly safe to say. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure my friends greatly I was appreciate say, it's probably, that. Yeah. It's probably much safer, too, to be brewing yeah. more than you're drinking. But then inevitably you have this beer and cider and stuff like that around that you want to age. And so if you're living in a small space, in a small shared space, it can be hard to kind of find a safe place to keep it. Now, aging or fermenting or anything you're doing in, in your basement, I've got a basement where we run the dehumidifier until it fills, and then we dump, and then we fill it and mm. dump. Um, humidity, non-factor. Humidity, non-factor. The, the, the bottles are sealed. Fermenters are sealed. The only thing I can tell people to watch out, and this has actually happened to me with uh, the Fermonster this week, because I, I was doing um, uh, a lager in it to start, and so it was a very uh, slow start to the fermentation, cool start, and you know, l really let that primary work over the course of two uh, to two and a half weeks. Um, my growler from my blow-off tube evaporated twice. Um, it's an older refrigerator that I keep the beer in. It's Wait, got what evaporated? The, the, the water from the growler from my blow-off tube. Okay. But my blow-off tube going into a growler full of water, um, that water, so basically my airlock water, evaporated twice during fermentation. So I especially see this in the heart of the winter um, when the humidity goes down you tend to lose airlock water fast. Those of you who fill your airlocks with vodka or something like that see this even more, um, but you're going to be losing uh, airlock water. So check on those fermenters every oh. once in a while, especially when your you know, air conditioning is on or your heat is on, especially the heat in the winter. Check on the airlocks every once in a while. I know I had to top this one off twice in this lager in the Fermonster, partially because it's in a refrigerator right. and it's an old refrigerator. So it doesn't have a exchanger. It just has a, you know, one of those metal plates that runs the glycol through. And yeah, that froze up at one point when I went down to crash it for lagering temperatures and immediately started drying out the airlock. Hmm. So watch out for that. Dr dry, is, from personal experience, while it's 
less gross and you have less mold growing in your basement or area or stuff like that, the one thing you have to watch out for is drying out airlocks. Especially considering if you're running a dehumidifier, which is trying. Which a lot of people are in their basement. And it's pulling water out. <laughs> like it's you got it. It's doing its best it. to evaporate down there. Um, with regard to like different styles. Yeah, and there's a couple. Of, people always ask me this too. Like, oh, you know, what do I do with this style of beer? How When is it going to hit its peak? And those are hard things to judge. But there are some kind of we'll say general rules to different categories of beer to how you want to long-term age them. And the first one I want to talk about is, say, English ales, IPAs will fit in Saison's, Hefeweizen's into this category as well. You don't want to age those. Um, each of those beers, the English ales, the wheat beers, and the, you know, like the Belgian Saison's have highly reactive um, phenols that are going to dissipate or die off over time. So if your Hefeweizen has a wonderful banana flavor, if your uh, Cezanne has that like bubblegum like we were talking about, or if your English bitter has just that perfect touch of pineapple or butter, butterscotch, that's going to go away over time. And same thing with the finishing hops in your IPA, all those dry hops that you, you know, spent, you know, anywhere from like five to six to, you know, those of you who are, you know, hopping with like four or five ounces, $10 mm-hmm. of hops that you're throwing into your secondary. As you bottle it, as that conditioned, that hop flavor is slowly ticking back. So you want to get to those beers a little bit faster. Um, now, there's kind of two other, we'll say, beers that kind of require a little bit of specialty aging. We'll look at lagers. Obviously, most people know you want to keep those cold, and it's going to make them crisper. It's going to kind of help make them a little bit clearer, drop out some extra protein, as well as those yeast will work at those cooler temperatures to kind of finish out the fermentation a little bit. Um, but then you, what a lot of people don't realize is that your stronger beers, your you know Belgian triples, your big Russian imperial stouts, your barley wines, those beers are actually going to like to be just slightly colder than their original fermentation, and those beers are really going to like 55, 60 degrees. And one of the reasons that is is there are kind of more volatile elements in those beers that we don't want. And some of the same elements that we have in those English ales, Hefeweizens, and um, Saisons, however, those phenols in the you know Russian Imperial Star barley wine, are not as pleasant. They're much more present because you had much more fermentation done. By keeping the beer slightly warm, um, we allow not only the volatile elements to slowly break down or react out, we also allow the yeast more opportunity to go back and kind of clean up some leftovers from fermentation. And so there's different places that would best suit different beers, which makes it even harder, again, if you're brewing in an apartment, but not impossible. And once we get to the winter here and you start to have your, you know, thermostat kick on, you're really going to see much less of a temperature swing than you were in the summer. Most people's houses will drop to, say, 62 while they're gone during the day and then come up to 68 by the end of the day. That's small six degree or eight degree change um, in temperature is only going to work out to a couple of degrees in the fermenter and so it's going to get a lot easier even if you're living in an apartment coming shortly here all right well in the coming weeks if you entered i guess listen in for live judging of your uh, entries into the niagara homegrown homebrew competition because we'll be doing best in show judging over the next couple of weeks which is going to be a lot of fun oh yeah how many different styles we, oh man, I wrote this down. Um, we have 17 different entries, and I want to say we got more uh, more than 
10 styles, which we're going to kind of put into, I think we're looking at about six different categories. categories. Large so, categories. Can, so they each kind of have a, you know, a pair or two beers paired with them to kind of, you know, yeah. judge against. So similar styles. All right. Good stuff. Good things. And if you have a basement and you want to fill it with beer, better go brew yourself. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.